Onto Waveland is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Cubs ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Or the concert, you know, folks, Chicago, known for some really great venues for you to see the show. Make sure you check that out as well. So head over to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hey, welcome back, folks. It's On to Waveland. You uh, haven't heard from us in a while, but we are back here with a special episode uh, on a fun topic that is timeless and sure to annoy and enthrall. And I presume uh, going forward, we'll also be back with some uh, more traditional off-season fare, but with the holidays around and with uh, activity around baseball in the in the trickle mode, we thought it would be fun to do as the other athletic podcasts are on the baseball side and uh, chatting up some all-decade team-type fun. So uh, to that end, uh, gotta say hey to my bras. Is that, is that, did that play? Uh, <laughs> Sahadev Sharma no. and Patrick Mooney of the Athletic. Do I know you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who is we, this again? <laughs> we like to have fun. We just, we like to be silly. Uh, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to be back with these guys. We, I, I, I explicitly avoided chit chat with you guys in between recordings. You see, that's why. It's not because I don't like you or don't want to be your friends. Uh, I just, I wanted to make sure we saved the good banter for the podcast and for the listeners this is the the lengths that we go to in service of the listeners so good to be back and uh yeah what are we so we we started briefly talking about this before we started recording but i want to get it firm and official for the podcast itself this we're going to be talking about the the cubs players from the decade between 2010 and 2019 what are we calling that decade sahadev what you you had an idea (laughs) <laughs> I I think it should be called the tens. I, mean, I don't I don't understand why why we can't do that. Well, it's tricky because so if it were the twenties, for example, there, it's everything is a twenty in twenty in the decade of the twenty twenties, right? It's twenty one, twenty two, sure. But in the tens, it's 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 actually like only one of them is a ten. It's like the tens and the elevens and the teens. You can't really call it the teens because a lot of them are teens. It's like the teens and the tweens. That's what it is. It's the teens and the yeah. tweens. The teens. So, uh, yeah, I think we can all agree that it's okay that it just because it doesn't start with 10 doesn't mean you can't call them the tens. Like, does, does it have to be called? Like, then I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm already <laughs> upset about this. <laughs> I'm just trying to set the set the mood. See, set the set the debating hot takes mood. <laughs> Patrick, you strike me as someone who has deeply, deeply passionate opinions <laughs> about what decades are called so you're you're the you're the deciding vote here this feels like one of those dumb like hot is a hot dog a sandwich type 
rabbit hole will fall into. <laughs> yeah, sir, this is why I'm getting sir that is yeah. not dumb. <laughs> that is important stuff, and I will thank you to retract that. Adam, Adam, we're going to need you to edit this part out because uh, I'm getting I'm getting fired up. Oh, man. All right. All so right. we, okay, we've had our fun. Fun is over. Serious time. <laughs> we, we're going to chat up. So obviously the Cubs just finished out this decade and you know i was going back through some of the teams in advance of this and and before we talk about specific players i just i thought it was interesting how um the, it was sort of a double camel hump of the decade for the cubs where you had um the descent uh, the decade starts with the descent from that uh, 2007 2008 2009 sort of peak where they really spent aggressively to try to compete um, overextended themselves and necessarily set up some crummy years to start out the decade. Then, of course, we had the depths of the rebuild uh, as the Theo Epstein-led front office came in. We then see the upswing into the competitive window that that really launched in 2015. And, I mean, we could d- debate this, and it probably depends considerably on what happens this offseason and heading into next year, but it could be sort of we might look back retrospectively and see another little, little dip, uh, the second hump. So it was definitely an interesting decade, but one that because of the um, really significantly outperforming section there in 2015, 16, 17, 18, um, I I imagine uh, a disproportionate amount of our discussion here is probably going to focus on a lot of the players in that um, section. So I tried to have a little fun and step outside that window just to to do some throwbacks to like, oh yeah, you remember that guy? Um, But let's do it. Let's, uh, should we, let's, let's start on the positional side and we, let's start behind the plate. Is it, is it just a default and obvious that if you're talking about the best catcher of the decade for the Cubs, do we have to just stick with the guy who's there now or depending on when this is released, uh, he's, he's there now. Yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) I, I think he, he's the right choice what when patrick and i were writing this up and doing research uh, what i found was interesting is that giovanni soto actually has more war according to fan graphs from this decade than wilson Contreras, and soto has about 800 fewer uh plate appearances i think or 600 600 fewer plate appearances now that i actually look at the number uh, so that's just how much <laughs> Like these, uh, like war and stuff. Now, when they incorporate framing, how much it impacts Contreras's value. In my opinion, I just can't, I can't value framing that highly. There's no way that I would pick Giovanni Soto over Wilson Contreras, and majority of it has to do with the defense. I mean, Soto was basically a negative offensive player this decade with the Cubs I I don't know I I mean he was like a slightly above average offensively right so uh, you're gonna take Soto over Contreras on defense alone that doesn't make any that for me I'm not I I can't be swayed in that direction uh with framing obviously it's important but when you tell me that Soto is more valuable than Contreras I start to have my doubts well yeah he's still the guy assuming uh, Wilson isn't traded between now and the time this podcast is released. And certainly in terms of impact, I mean, I don't think the Cubs win the 2016 World Series without Wilson Contreras. I mean, that guy, 
Uh, or at least it would have been uh, far more uncomfortable for Cubs fans who already had to wait it out until the 10th inning uh, of Game 7 after a rain delay. I mean, even if even if Wilson um, you know, does get traded, uh, if, he, if he doesn't kind of reach these heights again, I just think he was such a burst of energy um, in the middle of the 2016 season. Uh, he came up with a huge hit. Uh, in San Francisco to eliminate the Giants and make sure that kind of Bumgarner-Cueto game five nightmare scenario at Wrigley uh, <laughs> didn't happen. Um, and, you know, I, I realize he's in trade kind of rumors now, but I think it goes back to Brett's original point of how Sahadev and I framed this story for the website was kind of, you know, the Cubs tried to win one for the tower and all of a sudden the kind of uh, Tribune window was closing and they could kind of think that they were still in it with guys like Giovanni Soto. And then all of a sudden um, the team just rapidly deteriorated. And I don't think the Cubs are quite at that point, but they can kind of see it coming. And that's why, you know, you know, someone like Wilson is going to be on the trading block. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I think um, it, there were a lot of interesting complimentary catchers over the decade for the Cubs. And I think, you know, obviously shouts to uh, David Ross and Miguel Montero, who contributed uh, considerably to, the, to that window as well. But I think it's pretty hard to not go with Wilson. Although I did want to note, and you guys probably saw this in your research, although I, should add, I haven't seen your piece yet. Uh, it's not, it's not, is it going to, it's going to be out by the time this publishes, I presume. Is that the idea? Yes. Okay. I would hope so, so. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking blind. So you guys, like if I say anything really stupid, well, that's what we'll definitely actually edit out. So, uh, I did want to note, don't know if you guys saw, if you already saw, please don't ruin it for the listeners. Give them a little bit of a pause. But if I told you the offensive, the positional war leader, for the Cubs in 2013 uh, was a catcher. It uh, Giovanni Soto was long gone by then. And I'm telling you, you would not, if, if I hadn't said it was a catcher, you would not guess who it was in a million years who the 2013 Cubs war leader was. Do you guys already know? I think from, I have from, uh, uh, I You have might now idea. that I've set it up. Yeah, it's yeah. Deion I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, once you set it up, I that's who I started to think about. Yeah, and yes, you, of course crazy. he had his legendary three <laughs> homer game, and yeah. but it, it, I mean, it is, it's remarkable. It, it says a lot about that team uh, that uh, at at one point nine WAR, so uh, statistically speaking, slightly below average. Although he did it only in about uh, you know uh, what five eighths of a season. But it is funny to look back at that team in particular where, you know, if you'll recall, that 2013 team was where uh, still deep in the rebuild. Of course, the 2012 season really kicked it off. There was no bones about what 2012 was going to be. But you recall going into 2013, although the expectation and sort of plan adjacent uh, maneuvering was such that it's like, let's get some bring in some short term guys see what happens and kind of presume we're going to sell off at the deadline again. Um, I do think it's funny that 
there was that thinking that, well, maybe there might be a little something here to just kind of keep it floating for a while. And uh, indeed, it was just such a remarkably glorious disaster in 2013 as well, <laughs> uh, particularly on the positional side. I mean, like the names, it's beautiful. Like some of the, the leaders, you know, Donnie Murphy, Nate Scherholtz. Oh, yeah. Brian Bogusevich. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Ryan Sweeney. I mean, Bogusevich. it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful collection of these guys that you're like, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That, uh, that's wild. So uh, that's all I wanted to say on that. And uh, we, can, we can move on to first base where I think we can all agree the answer is just so obvious. It barely bears any discussion whatsoever. He was, of course, the 2012 all-star for the Cubs at first base. Yes. Uh, the one and only Brian LaHare. Brian, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yep, that was easy. Which is Spanish for yeah. the hair. <laughs> Quick and easy. Yep, we can all agree there. Move on. All right, second base. <laughs> second base, it is. Uh, I, like, like we should totally leave it there. Not even gonna say it. Uh, all right, on to second base. I do think Brett, well, you forgot one of the best moments. I think it was 2013. Was when uh, Dale Swaim threatened to send uh, Anthony Rizzo and Starlin Castro to AAA Iowa, like in maybe the second or third week of the season. Uh, it was indeed. maybe a week, a week or two before Rizzo signed a long-term contract that um, will likely keep him a cub through at least 2021. <laughs> Which, and it's crazy that he did ultimately head back down to the minors for the rest of the decade. I, it's, I, who, who yeah. that? <laughs> no one ever heard of that guy. Yeah. No one heard yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Until you brought him up. I was sort of like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, obviously Anthony Rizzo, of course. I mean, that's, um, he, he, I think you would say that not only is he the first baseman of the decade for the Cubs, he probably is right there in the, the conversation for being sort of the face of the Cubs for the entirety of this decade, uh, having been essentially the first major acquisition of this front office when they came in there at the very end of 2011. So he's, he's more or less been here the entire decade. Uh, so at second base, certainly an interesting conversation. Again, I feel like it's hard not to be sort of skewed a little bit by uh, the recent peak. So I'm not, I don't want to say, I want, I kind of want to throw to you guys. I'm curious to hear how you land where you land at second base or, and if it's as uh, obvious I, to you as it is to me. Well, I think it was initially obvious uh, depending on how you kind of want to structure this and, and Patrick and I kind of had a back and forth to figure out a way how we want to really fit this together. And, we actually uh, settled on Starlin Castro at second base. Oh, and interesting. Yes, did he he played very little second base, but he, you know, is it's kind of a homage to him being there for the entirety of, you know, them being bad and then being traded right before <laughs> the World Series. He was a solid player, obviously didn't live up to expectations, played very little second base. So, yes, we're squeezing him into this roster in a creative fashion uh and we'll get to you know we'll get to how he squeeze in other players but it just I, I think it makes sense i think you know he was a quality second baseman if you're looking for a way to squeeze him in this is where he fits and there's and the two other players that would make sense are on the roster that uh patrick and i put together uh so i i think it i think it works you know uh would you want to give some love to darwin barney and his gold glove yeah i guess you could you could throw that name out there but the only two other people that are probably deserving over him are on this team, and we'll get to them. 
but that's that's where we went and i and i think it you know it, it's it's a good way to kind of point to it wasn't all this uh this playoff run and world series run uh there were guys that kind of suffered through it and 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 you know how much did starling caster change as a player under the cubs because of things they were trying to do to him what what which direction would his uh career have taken if uh you know just pure contact skills were as valued as they are now uh as rare as they are as rare as they've become you know instead of trying to make him an on-base player too just if he was just focused on what he had always done well, I, I, I'm curious to see where, I mean, we'll never see, but I'm curious, uh, I wonder what it would have been had he just been allowed to be this contact hitter that maybe won't have a 380 on base percentage, but could hit close to 300 and, and have some sort of value. And also if Joe Madden was his manager from the start and not having, uh, what was it? four different managers in his first That's a good point. whatever three or four seasons um five whatever five seasons i lost track um but yeah certainly we just kind of wanted to props to a guy who had almost a thousand hits uh in a cubs uniform played in all 162 in 2012 and 161 uh the next year i believe he caught the last out in that wild card game in in pittsburgh and you no, know, he, he did. did develop to the point where, um, you know, the Yankees were willing to take him on. That was kind of the, the move to get their World Series MVP uh, in Ben Zobra. So I think kind of the story of the Cubs this decade. It's you know almost impossible to keep Starlin out of it. And I, he I was, think that's. Lovely. I mean, if you remember, if you remember that 2015 season, right? Like once he got moved off shortstop and moved to second base when he got back in the lineup he was their best player yeah he had a brilliant two final months um yeah and i think that's and i think that's cool that you guys are including him uh i was gonna give a similar love to him at another position but that that works out just fine uh i think that like mooney said it's also nice to give the nod to um uh, the fact that it was the trade of Starlin Castro that allowed the Cubs to sign Ben Zobrist, who himself uh, frequently at second base was a considerable part of the Cubs' success. And uh, part of that deal, right, the Cubs got Adam Warren, who then ultimately was traded as a, a very critical part of the Aroldis <laughs> Chapman trade uh, in 2016. Uh, in fact, I believe the Yankees would absolutely not have made that trade without Adam Warren being included. Uh, and so, therefore, you can directly thank Starlin Castro for the Cubs uh, World Series in 2016. Boom. It is proven. Uh, I have spoken. Uh, so, uh, cool. Second base. That's a, that's a fun chat. So, sliding over to shortstop then. Uh, I got to be honest. I mean, I, again, I know that there are some recent discussions that you could have. I was kind of going to drop in some Starlin Castro thoughts here. So, again, maybe I'll punt it to you guys for, for a little shortstop discussion. Yeah, for me, once uh, once we made the decision with the Starlin to kind of put him in in the on the roster at second, it, I think shortstop's easy. Uh, it's as easy for me as uh, as first base. I mean, Javi's the choice. How, yeah, how long has he been shortstop? Not that long. Uh, what has it been? A year and a half of him at shortstop, uh, full yep. time. He's he's proven that. It, I, I think for me, for me, he's taught me a lot about the how important it is to have like elite arm strength at shortstop uh i think that can that 
is a separator for him outside of Andrelton Simmons. There's no one that has the arm strength uh, in at, at shortstop in baseball, and, and it sets him apart. It makes him a. It, it, he's proven to us that any questions that we had, uh, whatever half decade ago or longer about whether he could play there, I, I completely dismissed now. You know, th- those questions are gone. He can play shortstop. He can be a plus plus shortstop, and he's a plus to plus plus offensive force. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a special player, special talent. We know what he does on the bases. We know what he does with the glove, with the tags, how flashy he is, what he brings as far as those intangibles, as far as energy and how he can spark a crowd or the team with just one silly moment that, you know, one pl- any other player, it wouldn't matter. But the way he pulls it off, it matters. Uh, he's a transcendent type of player that is finally really reaching his potential. And, and it's been obviously I think all three of us can agree that it's been kind of fun as just fans of baseball to watch it happen. Uh, and and I, I think it's easy to put him in at shortstop. Yeah, obviously, Addison Russell taking over at shortstop was a pivotal moment in 2015. And he was an all-star shortstop during the 2016 uh, World Series campaign, and those might be the two most important years in Cubs history. But, yeah, if you're doing kind of a time capsule uh, on this decade, I think Javi will be kind of uh, the guy, um, and maybe not just for the Cubs, but for this era of Major League Baseball. And uh, increasingly, uh, Addison Russell – those two seasons kind of look like um, an outlier for him. Um, certainly uh, we'll never quite know how connected his off the field issues were his uh, divorce, his domestic violence suspension um, kind of the pressure that he had felt um, and kind of his inability to handle success. I don't think we'll ever kind of get those full answers. I think in the long run, it'll be best for him to get out of Chicago, um, to be non-tendered and, you know, maybe start fresh. I think I'll, I think we could probably give him credit for this year, just in the sense that I think it went better off the field than probably the Cubs could have hoped for. And there are people close to him who think that kind of the counseling, the treatment has um, made a difference and improved um, his personal life. But, you know, he was never able to kind of, get it back together um, on the field uh, for the Cubs. And um, I think that's why Javi was kind of an easy choice there. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think you guys put it well that uh, within the context of guys that you so deeply associate with this Cubs decade, um, it just feels impossible um, both for performance reasons and just for like, cultural sentimentality of like fan affection for players you, you can't not have el mago as part of this team and so uh i'd say that's that's a, a fair way fair way to get him involved as well uh and so keep going around the horn slide it over to third base again uh it's going to be a recent one i don't think there's going to be much discussion about it because it's a guy that um even if only in the four years uh that that uh that come in this time period. Well, five now um, he's cemented himself already is uh, statistically one of the best, you know, 10 Cubs ever already. Uh, so it's gotta be Chris Bryant, right? Yeah. Again, an easy choice. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't want this to turn into uh, 
attacking the fans who attack Chris Bryant, but the, it always blows my mind to look at the numbers and realize this guy is the best player of the decade. Uh, you you want to for the Cubs? Uh, I mean, he plays. He's played in 450 fewer games than Anthony Rizzo, and according to Fangraphs, War he's a uh, barely two WAR under Anthony Rizzo. In he's a he's a plus hitter. He's a plus power guy. He gets on base. He runs the bases well. He's a good. Def- he's turned himself into a average to a slightly above average defender. Uh, he's reduced his strikeouts. Everything that he's done, he's improved himself as his career has gone on. Uh, the biggest issue is obviously his health hasn't stayed uh, as pristine as as it once was. Obviously, uh, I, I think I. You know, it'd be tough to see him be uh, underappreciated over this era. There's a good chance that that may be the case. You know, if he if he has only two years remaining with the team, if he's traded, uh, I, I just have a feeling fans are going to look back on this and not fully appreciate Bryant, even when he is gone. I, I just think there's a uh, chance that people will never fully appreciate how good he was because the expectations were sky high and he's not uh, winning an MVP every year or competing really for an MVP every year, uh, that that suddenly it becomes a disappointment. And I understand that. Expectations get high. It's the same reason the Cubs making four out of five playoffs isn't good enough, right? The expectations were set in 2016, and now the team has to live up to them. I think it's similar with Bryant, but I also think that he's been near uh, – he's been much closer to being great uh, than, than you'd – in the way he's treated, I guess, right? So, so he's, uh, and maybe that's maybe that's giving too much uh, credence to a vocal minority, but I still think Brian is one of the one of the best players uh, the Cubs have seen, and and he he deserves all the love in the world for it. Uh, so, uh, as far as uh, performance, on field performance, it's hard to get much better than him. And I mean, we could have put him in left field or right field. Or if in this hypothetical, fantastical world, like if Anthony Rizzo got hurt, he could play first base uh, just as well. Uh, and he's been kind of a build as his franchise savior since he got drafted in 2013. And he's had that kind of white hot spotlight on him and he's uh, never cracked and he's never embarrassed the team. Uh, he doesn't complain when he has to, move around he understands his responsibilities as a kind of ambassador uh for the team and um yeah i kind of with you there i I don't think he's going to be fully appreciated until he's gone so yeah obvious one i do want to give a couple uh shouts just for nostalgia purposes uh aramis ramirez uh, was still still with the cubs had a couple good years at the very outset of the decade but i think he's uh, much more closely associated in Cubs fans' minds with the previous decade. And then also uh, Luis Valbuena, uh, the late and great uh, bat flipper, yeah. had a couple good years and no doubt, uh, yeah. was a really nice find for the Cubs and uh, was a part of the trade that brought Dexter Fowler to the Cubs. So just a little love there. Um, and uh, so and we slide out to up, left field. I, I just want to he, – he was picked up off waivers, right? Like that's another he was thing in, that in if spring I training. I he was a waiver pickup. Yeah, from the yeah. Indians. That's just a, that is a great find and a great player that they maximize the value of by flipping him for Fowler. I mean that that needs that shouldn't go overlooked. You're totally right on that. So out in left field, 
this is a tough one. I know who I'm going to mention. I'll, I'll just, I'll say who I'm going to mention because I doubt it's uh, where you guys land, but it's, it's more of a uh, half, uh, you know, 80% serious, 20% joking. But uh, I, I like to push for him because I think he was criminally underrated by Cubs fans. I know where you're uh, going now. <laughs> and it's Chris Coglin. So look, <laughs> I have no illusions that when people think back to the, this decade of the Cubs, they're gonna be like, oh man, do you remember Chris Coglin in left field? Uh, but he was, when he was with the Cubs, he had, he had a couple different stints with the Cubs. He was very effective. He was very good at the plate. He improved his defense in left field very well. And I'm just saying, in the last, uh, what, 112 years of the Cubs, they have one world championship, and uh, the primary left fielder for that team uh, was Chris Coglin. So, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> That's, I, like, I, I also appreciated Chris Coglin uh, in a similar fashion. I mean, he, he, he put up a good at bat, and he was, he was a quality player. He was probably a little underrated offensively, but his, his defensive value, he was kind of one of those guys that you can play him all over. I'm not sure if he's any good at any of those positions, but just play him wherever you want to. Uh, so I appreciate giving him some love. Uh, our choice was I'm going to leave the other person we gave some love for Patrick to talk about since he covered him much more frequently than I did. But we picked Kyle Schwarber. Uh, I think the numbers kind of back it up. Uh, he he was a 2016 World Series legend, and I think on that alone, uh, it, it just the story of that that should make him the left fielder of the decade. I, I know it's kind of uh, he wasn't even playing defense at the time, but just four games at the DH uh, in the World Series, kind of like that that comeback is unforgettable. The whole situation was one of those like. Uh, those moments when you learn about it and, and you're just like, really, this is happening. How can this happen? And, and, and it just gives you like one of those cool sports moments. And, and he was, uh, you know, one of the greatest, uh, you know, injury comebacks in season, uh, obviously struggled after that kind of found a rhythm at the end of last season, uh, a great debut in 2015, the, the, the home run in the wild card game, game the the home run against the cardinals on top of the video board those are all the type of moments that you just can't forget and he's been a part of at least three playoff moments for the cubs that are just if you're a cubs fan or cover this team or follow this team you're not going to forget those if you watched them the the home run on top of the board video board the wild card home run and his comeback for the world series those are the types of moments that fans live and die for and, uh, and and he's a part of that. And, and, and the numbers back it up. I mean, he, if you just want to go by war, he's the best left fielder of the of the tens or whatever we're calling this. So for the Cubs, he's so. actually the best. Can I just interject? He's, he's the best yeah, yeah. outfielder total, not just uh, left fielder. But he oh, is, is he statistically? He is by war the best Cubs outfielder of the decade. That's crazy to think about. And he takes and it, a lot it, of heat. Right. And so yeah, well, uh, it, and they do it's value. Kind of, yeah, it cuts both ways. But yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I I agree. <laughs> uh, and and we did mention someone else, and I'll let Patrick talk about that. Yeah, I guess there's kind of a dividing line with a lot of these decisions, and we had to leave out the legend Alfonso Soriano. Um, kind of similar um, logic in terms of uh, you know. Mentioning someone like Aramis Ramirez, um, I think Soria was kind of identified with that um, 
you know, win one for Tribune Tower uh, era, but he definitely made a mark um, kind of even when Theo and his group came in and was kind of saddled with that contract and, and the no trade. And I think what you saw was people beginning to look beyond just the contract and appreciating him, how hard he worked uh, in left field with Dave McKay to become uh, a competent uh, left fielder. Uh, his production, I mean, he was a special uh, offensive player uh, at times. You know, he would just get, get hot and carry a team. And I think what I think most people remember um, who were around Soriano, whether they covered him or played with him, or got to kind of watch him up close was just like that huge smile he had just this like machismo this swagger every day he walked uh into the clubhouse just you know another day in the show babe like that like all these like little <laughs> sayings that he had uh and just like a real joy for the game and um even when the cubs you know were losing 90 games and you know you kind of it kind of drifts out of your mind, but as we've been talking about all these issues on the podcast throughout the year of kind of the complacency, the quiet, the quiet in the clubhouse, the finding their edge, whether, I mean, someone like Chris Coughlin definitely brought an edge to the club. He knew he had to you know, play his ass off every single inning if he was going to stick in the big leagues. And Soriano had this huge contract, but he was still, um, you know, practicing his defense in left field. He was still lifting weights after the game. He still loved showing up for work every single day. And, um, you know, he didn't uh, get a ring, but I remember seeing him kind of during that um, you know, playoff run, and he was happy for those guys. You know, he loved Chicago. And just kind of a, you know, an interesting, just a super interesting guy that anyone who encountered him will just kind of remember um, just that machismo. Beautiful. Glad glad to get Soriano in there. Um, and uh, his, you know, he's another guy whose transition away from the team is remembered almost affectionately as part of the transition to the current competitive club. Um, you know, I think that because of the way, particularly he had worked so hard to improve his defense in left field, I really feel like a lot of fans did appreciate that. And I think that a lot of the old and foolish, in my view, uh, railing that fans did on his contract uh, had faded away. And I think there was, you know, some happiness uh, as they, you know, transitioned away from him in that trade to the Yankees. Uh, so center field, uh, not exactly an area that the Cubs have covered themselves in glory uh, for this decade. Uh, but I think that uh, even, even as it's, again, uh, intimately tied to the competitive runs and you know that 15 16 17 window um i think it's just impossible for me personally not to think about dexter fowler out there in center field um not only because of the world series and you know leading off game seven with the home run spinning around as he passes first base that's just stuck in my head but but also because the two years that he played with the cubs uh were really really excellent seasons two of the best of his career and two of the best uh, in center field that we've seen for the Cubs in a very long time. Yeah. And I mean, the, 
the reality is they're still trying to replace him in so many different ways. Leadoff, center field, that skill set of he doesn't swing and miss at high fastballs. He doesn't chase breaking balls out of the zone. It's all these things that uh, the Cubs are still looking for. Uh, you know, and, and I think we can, the three of us agree that it was the right move to not sign him to that uh, massive deal after 2016. Uh, but they they never found someone with similar skill set to take over for him. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's at the forefront still this offseason, looking for that center fielder of the future. Uh, just looking at some of these names of guys that played center field uh, for the Cubs this decade, it's a really interesting list, and there's no one even close to Dexter Fowler as far as consistency, performance level. Uh, I mean, it, they haven't come close to replacing him. They never were close to having someone similar before him. Uh, what He's the best center fielder for the Cubs since Kenny Lofton. Uh, it's uh, he's and, and I mean as a player you know we can debate his defense uh, if you want but it's uh, obviously the Cubs found a way to to make him not a liability in center field and, and he was you know a key player to that World Series team and two playoff teams so yeah again an easy pick for me and uh, maybe more so because the Cubs just haven't had many great center fielders over the course of the decade but Fowler obviously was hugely impactful no doubt. I think the one footnote would probably be uh, Albert Almora Jr. And it's crazy to think that um, he just finished his eighth year in the organization. Uh, and certainly the hope was that he'd kind of blossom into this gold glove center fielder who would be a different type of player than Fowler, but certainly fill uh, some of that void. And, you know, he clearly hasn't. Uh, I think Sahadev has reported that you know, the Cubs, there's a decent chance to hold on to him, but that's just because he has like no trade value and he's not going to command a huge salary through uh, arbitration. But uh, yeah, it's crazy to think like heading into the next decade that, you know, people are still going to be asking new manager David Ross about the leadoff spot and filling Dexter's void, you know, the uh, whatever the 19 times the Cubs will play the Cardinals next year will be Dexter, uh, you know, more reminders of Dexter. A uh, couple random shouts, as I want to do in center field, just because I know that Cubs fans, um, you know, they 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 love their uh, smaller, scrappier guys that uh, seem to have outsized love among the fans. Uh, Tony Campana, Reed Johnson, actually, you know, useful outfielders in their roles, uh, frequently in center field for the Cubs. That that one Reed Johnson catch. Uh, I don't know if that was in this decade. It might have just preceded it barely, but uh, what with Ryan Dempster on the mound in Washington, mm, still one of the best uh, catches that I can think of in Cubs history. Um, so moving over to right field. Uh, shout, also, shout out to Reed guys. Johnson for wearing uh, a wig while dressing up as Jed Hoyer for oh, the Superheroes right. <laughs> road trip. And Jeff Baker going as Theo Epstein. They had their... Uh, khakis and cubs polos and cubs id badges and just on their phone the entire time and i remember the two of them looked at each other and were just like dude we're so traded and of course they both got traded within days but uh that is what i will always remember uh reed johnson for just that absurd wig uh and his jed hoyer impersonation random aside 
<laughs> uh, beautiful. And um, <laughs> it's funny, too. I remember that that was in the very nascent days of um, Twitter usage sort of increasing among the fan base. And that is one of the earliest, I guess, what memories that I have in terms of like something really going viral in the Cubs Twitter space of like, oh, my God, look at this picture. Uh, so good call there, moon, moon dog. Uh, so right field, I, I will get there in just a second. I do want to give one shout in right field before we get to it, because I just find this remarkable. Nick Castellanos has been a Cubs right fielder, had been, uh, for 51 games. That's the entirety of his time in right field uh, in this decade for the Cubs. And yet, by war... Fangraphs wore a, a full two war because of his offensive explosion in those two months with the Cubs. He was actually the 11th most valuable outfielder, any outfielder, for the Cubs in the decade. 11th most, the guy who played two months. Uh, so again, the, it is a credit to his tremendous performance. It is also maybe not so much credit to the overall organizational performance in the outfield uh, and to that end, uh, I slide it over to you, Sahadev, to uh, offer up the right fielder that will be uh, that we will think of in this decade with the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we won't think of him as a right fielder, but the guy that we picked uh, to squeeze him into this lineup, because obviously he has to be on this team, is Ben Zobrist. Uh, it's funny to think back on that four-year contract that he had, and only two of them were good seasons. You know, this past season, obviously, he missed majority of the year uh, dealing with the divorce. And then what was it? 2017 was a really it was the wrist issue, just not a great start to the season, never found his rhythm. And it was that off season where he really rededicated himself. Not that he was ever someone to not work hard, but I think he kind of uh, went about his offseason in a different manner and, and had a great 2018. The biggest hit in Cubs history, of course, to, uh, you know, drive in the go-ahead run in game-winning run in, in the World Series, uh, Game 7 of the World Series, uh, the consummate leader, consummate professional, the type of guy that you just look at and say, that's what the Cubs need more of. Uh, you know, they're still, just like Fowler, they're, they're looking for more players like Ben Zobrist. And, and he's, he, I, I think, uh, you know, explained why we put Castro at second. Uh, Zobris has to be on this team. It's Yes, I, I know it's hard not to put uh, Jason Hayward. I think offensively the disappointment has always been there with him. Uh, he deserves all the credit in the world for being a, a stud defensively. Like he's, I, I think when you watch him every day in right field, you, you, you're seeing one of the best right fielders ever defensively. Uh, he obviously had the big speech, rain delay speech in game seven. He's a hard worker, great leader, all those different types of things. Uh, ultimately, it's it's going to be for most fans, it's going to be hard to look at him. Maybe maybe he can kind of, by the end of his career with the Cubs, just like Soriano did, people will move past the contract. But right now, it's still hard for people on the outside looking in to, to realize uh, or to kind of accept that, that he's being paid whatever, 20-something million dollars a year and, and not pretty producing at a high level offensively so we went with Zobris there and and I think it's it, it makes a lot of sense yeah I'm not one of these we'll never know but I I don't think the Cubs won the World Series without Jason Hayward and I think that's kind of the you know end of the contract discussion I mean he was worth it you know I think um 
we saw some of the erosion this year in terms of the defensive fundamentals and the carelessness on the bases. And when he showed up uh, and started just making spectacular plays in right field, it was a huge boost for the pitching staff and, you know, what became a historically great um, defense. And I think that attention to detail running the bases was definitely part of Hayward's imprint uh, on that 2016 team, as well as kind of a just day-to-day sense of purpose um, and kind of that even-keeled nature that they have. I think Hayward uh, played a huge part of it, um, culminating in that rain delay speech. And we can, you know, there are times where you know people can kind of roll their eyes at that, but, I mean, they believed that was a huge factor and them kind of gathering themselves and not um you know choking in cleveland and then that all of these selections we're talking about would have a you know completely different um kind of slant to them and that you know kind of 2016 um kind of made a lot of these guys and i feel like hayward's um had kind of subtle influence on that even if his you know, offensive numbers are never going to really jump off uh, the charts. Yeah, I was going to sort of cheat and give Ben Zobers the nod as a super utility guy. And um, I think in addition to everything you guys have already said, and I won't rehash it, a big part of what I think about in right field is that for all the disappointment that we might associate with Jason Hayward's performance so far, when you go back through the decade and think about the right fielders that the Cubs have had in a hypothetical um median season in the in the 2010s the right fielder from among the uh, the you know dedicated right field options that you would choose to start that game if you're like okay I can just pick one guy you're gonna pick Jason Hayward so that's the guy all right so that's the positional side moving on to the pitchers and the rotation again I think there there are some obvious ones that really jump out to you in the rotation and if you were if you were picking five and I think that it's reasonably easy to dispense with uh, guys like John Lester, who, of course, uh, has really lived up to his uh, tremendous contract signing. Of course, you had Jake Arrieta, who had not only the Cy Young, but one of the best uh, halves of a season that has ever been pitched. And, of course, Kyle Hendricks as well, who's just kind of been a steady uh, presence for uh, a little more than half of this decade. throw into you guys for some thoughts on you know how you round out that rotation and any other stuff you want to say of course about those three yeah uh john lester easy pick obviously face of the rebuild uh all the pressure in the world with that contract to come over and try and break a curse and and he was uh he was a big part of that obviously uh second place cy young i think in 2016 uh hendrick's obviously an easy pick as well uh more valuable than I think anybody, even the most optimistic scout on him, uh, predicted. Uh, and and he's turned his story is one of my favorite of turning himself into this, uh, at worst, middle of the rotation starter, consistent year in and year out, really delivers. Uh, third place in that 2016 Cy Young vote, leading the league, I, I want to say, uh, leading all of baseball in ERA with like a 2 1 something, if I'm remembering yes, correctly. And then Arietta, obviously, uh, I, I think uh, we, we all remember 2015, the second half. We all remember the, the wild card start, the the no hitters in 15 and 16. I think just uh, the fact that 
he always delivered after that 15 that disappointment in the 15 playoffs after the wild card game uh he consistently delivered in the playoffs he's the only one that started the game against the dodgers in 2017 that the the only win that the cubs had in that 2017 nlcs arietta started for them uh He's just, a, you know, he was rock solid. We talk about edge and attitude uh, missing from the clubhouse. He's a part of that as well. He he knew he was the, in his mind, he was the best player on the field every single day. He went out there with that attitude. He carried himself like that on the field and off the field. Uh, could it rub some people the wrong way? Sure. Is it a good way for athletes to handle themselves a lot of the time? I think so. And I think he, he that's part of the reason why he bounced back and part of the reason why uh, he went from, you know, failed prospect to superstar Cy Young winner. Uh, the other two guys I didn't cover very long. I, I've gotten to know one of them better uh, over the last couple of years, but we went with Samarja and Dempster. Uh, I think the numbers back it up. I think, you know, what their value was overall over that time in the early tens. And of course they were traded for key pieces as well in a sense. So, so it's all, they, they were hugely valuable. Uh, Patrick knows them so much better than I do as far as players, as far as covering them. And, and he can speak to the impact and, and maybe any interesting fun anecdotes that he may be able to pass along. But those are, that's the five starters that we went with. Yeah. I think with Dempster, you know, where would the Cubs be if he hadn't used his no trade rights and stopped to deal with the Braves that would have gotten the Cubs, uh, Randall Delgado and, you know, Dempster, you know, pitched really well in the, in that 2012 season. And, you know, if he didn't, you know, the Cubs, you basically, you kind of look at what the White Sox have been doing and they've been kind of hoping for guys to, you know, kind of step forward and things like that. But you also need those kind of expiring assets to perform really well at the right time. And that's exactly what Dempster did. And, you know, he was just uh, playing, uh, what was it? Uh, Papa shot or golden tea, golden tea at the Cubs golden old tea. offices on Clark street. Uh, right before the trade deadline there, I think he had his feet kicked up just watching the MLB network. Um, trade deadline coverage and i might be imagining this but i'm pretty sure he said something like he was like looking at the clock big like, boys you really got to get get going here if you want to get something done i may be making that up i can't remember but he was definitely in that office there um preparing for his uh future as a special assistant and what will uh likely be a presence on the marquee sports network which is uh, has taken over that old office building where the Cubs uh, had their war room for the 2012 trade deadline. Uh, Samarja, obviously, I think he showed really what that kind of game planning system that we still see to this day, like that helped him a lot. Obviously, he was naturally confident. He was extremely freakishly gifted. But when we talk about game planning i mean this dempster and samarja both really kind of embraced what you know basio and borzello and swain were selling and there's still kind of remnants of that system here you know to this day even as you know big data and technology has you know kind of taken over the game and interestingly uh the last starting pitcher the cubs drafted and developed for their big league rotation is still the Notre Dame wide receiver that Jim Hendry drafted in 2006, which is um, kind of staggering to think about as well. Oof. 
um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that, that's certainly the, the five I, I would have gone with as well. And, uh, you know, just, just to shout a few names that also kind of, you know, tickle people's nostalgia bone on the starting side of things. Uh, Matt Garza, of course, had a really, um, what, a highlight-filled brief time with the Cubs there at the start of the decade. Uh, John Lackey, of course, two very important years. And uh, Edwin Jackson, maybe not super successful as a starter with the Cubs, but certainly his signing and the, that whole process uh, was um, very deeply associated in the minds of folks as the Cubs went through the rebuilding process. And so, um, you know, wanted to give him a shout. And also he was just, uh, you know, always viewed as, as such a professional. Uh, there's a reason he's hung on so long with so many teams. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he's, I still got a soft spot in my heart for Edwin Jackson. So uh, good look at the rotation bullpen. What are we gonna do about four, four guys in the bullpen? Uh, I'm going to just totally steal Pedro Strope off the top because he is uh, <laughs> arguably the best and most consistent Cubs reliever of the past 25 years. And um, I think when, when I think about the bullpen of the tens, he's just, he is the presence that I will always think about first. Yeah, he's one of the greatest relievers to pitch for the Cubs. Uh, also probably will get underappreciated because he wasn't a saves guy. He wasn't the closer. Uh, but I believe he has the Cubs record for most holds. Uh, I'd have to look up how long that's actually been kept as a statistic. But <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he's the uh, he's the Cubs career leader in that. He's, he's a special reliever for this team uh, on and off the field. He was he, he impacted the club in big ways. Uh, unfortunately, if, if my memory serves, I feel like majority of the time heading into the playoffs d- during this recent playoff run that the Cubs have had, he, he would all, he always was coming off an injury. Like it was always, he'd be great for the season. And then heading into the playoffs, it would be like, oh, he's been back for a week with a hamstring issue, or he's trying to play through this issue. So he was never really, we never really got to see him. Uh, dominate in the playoffs like he could during the regular season. Uh, similarly, I, I want to say that that was kind of similar with Hector Rondon, who I believe, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, I believe we had him as as one of the four relievers that we chose. Uh, he was great in 15, but then again, 16, he, he was coming off uh, an injury and, and really what couldn't have been, you know, wasn't leaned on during that playoff run. Those are two of the guys, uh, two guys I want to, mentioned that we didn't pick but are huge uh, part of my memory for Cubs relievers Sean Marshall uh, really good lefty one of the first big trades that the Cubs made to kind of reshape the team uh, and, and you know about it was a smart trade at the time of course uh, moving a reliever who wasn't going to be around for a while for for other pieces including a starting pitcher or pitcher who was quality for the Cubs and then Steve Ciszek was just a rock and I think the end of his Cubs career is kind of looked at as he was he was getting knocked around but he was one of those guys that Joe Madden just leaned on and uh, always said he was fine to go out there uh, I, I'd say that's similar to Wade Davis who was only around for a year and was a was just a you know you could argue that if it wasn't for him the Cubs don't make three straight NLCS uh, so he he should uh, get a mention there too. Uh, I'll let Patrick uh, kind of speak to the rest of our picks. Yeah, because this is a totally made up exercise, I decided to throw in shirtless dude at the championship rally, and I went with Travis Wood. 
uh, because I think he showed how Theo was going to operate by flipping uh, the aforementioned Sean Marshall, a popular reliever, a good guy, a reliable lefty, uh, for kind of Travis Wood's potential. And he pitched 200 innings in 2013, uh, made an all-star team, uh, became uh, one of Madden's uh, circle of trust guys i mean he had a two in the world series year he had a 2.95 era and 77 uh appearances and then just to bring it kind of refresh it to the uh present day um the cubs haven't declined because travis wood is gone but i think when theo talks about doing things together uh as a team and having that kind of connective tissue uh, in the clubhouse, uh, I remember Jesse Rogers on ESPN. I believe he wrote a story on Travis Wood, kind of like an off day story, you know, several years ago, just on how like Travis Wood just show up to the clubhouse at like noon for a seven o'clock game. Like he just loved hanging out there. He was always sitting, uh, in his chair. He was always, um, you know, chatting it up with the boys and, uh, he was never particularly, uh, verbose during his media interviews he might have been one of the easiest guys to transcribe ever because he would just give like one or two <laughs> sentences but once the cubs started winning playoff series uh and the world series you certainly saw why dudes just love this guy um you know just slamming drinks ripping his shirt off and i got travis wood flashbacks watching the nationals uh brian dozier there like that's kind of the genesis of why uh, Travis Wood is on our all-decade team. Heck of a left fielder, too. That's right, yeah. And I think we, uh, there was one more, and I correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but didn't we go with Chapman? I was just going to say I, that other, that was going to be yeah. who I would surmise was probably for because of just the, the otherworldly impact, even in a half season, but importance of the run his importance to that postseason team in particular. Um, I think even, you know, I would argue the circumstances of his acquisition and, and having served the domestic violence suspension and the conversation that that generated, um, not only with the Cubs, but around the sport, uh, kind of gives it that extra layer of um, people will think about it and they will remember it and it will be kind of inextricably linked with this this era of the Cubs, even though it was just a half season. The conversation around uh, Chapman, as well as the kind of implications of the Glaboratories trade and what that signified and kind of where the farm system has gone, how... Um, you know, Chapman's off the field issues kind of uh, created a dialogue that continued with Addison Russell's off the field issues. Um, and just the fact that, you know, it was only, um, what, a couple months um, as a Cub, but it was, you know, he was one of the most important uh, pieces. Uh, and it will always kind of echo in my mind of Theo Epstein uh, after making that trade of, if not now, uh, when and the Cubs got their World Series rings uh, in response to any, no matter what Glaber does the rest of his time in the Bronx and in this game, the Cubs always have those World Series rings um, in large part because of Chapman. Yeah, and so there it is. There are people. The, uh, sorry. Oh, sorry. 
Oh God, that's yeah. that was awkward. <laughs> that was like saying goodbye, <laughs> and then you're both walking in the same direction, and you're like, oh shit. Please the, proceed. It's a high. Well, people always uh, like to focus on the mistakes Chapman made in that postseason, but he closed out every game, every win of the Giants series. Two of them won run victories. He closed out the three-two win over the over Cleveland. That was hugely important. Uh, that was, I think, two and a third, two and two thirds innings. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of wins that that he contributed to in that playoff uh, stretch. Yes, he, he contributed to some blown saves or, or screwed up in, in different ways, but uh, he was a huge factor in that postseason run. Uh, and, and I also think that when you talk about how uh, Theo says you got to you got to go for it, then that's that's one of those things where. Uh, I think Theo looks back on it now, and he doesn't regret giving up Glaber. He he looks at it as you you have to do what you need to do to win, and and he did. And and I think it's kind of he's he's kind of hoping that teams will do that again. Uh, that he's not the only one that thinks that way anymore, because he has some pieces that that need to be moved in a sense, or that he'd like to move for for a nice haul of prospects. So hopefully, in his mind, he's hoping that uh, other other GMs or team presidents think like that as well. Still, very good. So that is the team of the teens, the tens, uh, the Chicago Cubs, and I think um, let me appropriately wrap it with the manager who uh, managed for the second half and the very successful half of the decade for the Cubs, Joe Madden. Not a player, but I think that he will be remembered perhaps just a touch more than Mike Quaddy as the manager of the Cubs in the <laughs> teens. And uh, this was fun. Fun exercise uh, down a memory road. I think obviously very heavy on Cubs associated with the world champion team. But I think that's probably true for most uh, fan bases and organizations who go through a period like this. That's just um, not only because in your memory, that's who sticks, but also because it tends to be the case that in very successful years, you have very successful players. So thank you folks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you are all having a happy holiday season. Make sure you check out Sahadev and Patrick's piece on this topic at The Athletic and read all their other fantastic off-season work at The Athletic. Uh, I am Brett Taylor, by the way. This is probably the longest it's ever taken me to introduce myself by name. Uh, I write at Bleacher Nation. Uh, you can check out my stuff there. You can check us all out on Twitter. And we will be back at you soon. I probably shouldn't say soon because I don't know that I can guarantee soon. But we will be back at you uh, at some point this offseason with some of the offseason chatter. Uh, but uh, had a little fun with the Decade team. And uh, thank you folks for listening. Thank you and goodbye.